good morning, Mosaic. Hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you had a great New Year. Uh, I am pumped for the start of 2013. I can't wait to see what it's going to bring. And uh, I'm excited to start uh, our new series, uh, Getting Past Your Past. And uh, it's funny, whenever we're getting ready to do a new series, there's always different kinds of reactions based on the kind of series it's going to be. So, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of an anxiety and nervous tension, especially if we're going to talk about money, you know. It's like, ah, I might skip for a couple weeks, see you next month. Um, Sometimes, you know, people are like, okay, that sounds interesting. I have no idea how that's going to apply to my life whatsoever. Uh, But every now and then, we we strike a chord. And and it's been interesting as we're getting ready to start this series, Getting Past Your Past, just the, the chord that it seems to have struck with the amount of people that have, have commented or pulled me aside or interacting on social media that are excited for the series. And if you're like me, that doesn't really surprise you. Um, because the truth is, for many of us, uh, if not all of us, there are things from our past that to this day continue to affect the way that we live here and now. Uh, for some of us, uh, that's any number of things, but over time it becomes kind of like this, this baggage. Right, that we that we carry with us, and that we that can paralyze us at times, and and hold us back, and hold us down, and so, so in this series, we're going to be talking about uh, some of those things. We're going to open up the scriptures and see what God has to say about what what it means and how we start to move past our past. And so we're going to be talking about some tough stuff. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, what it means to move towards reconciling relationships that have been broken, and uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to uh, to ask or to extend forgiveness. To people that perhaps we don't feel deserve our forgiveness um, and what God has to say about that. We're going to talk about dealing with failure and, and dealing with disappointment with God when he doesn't come through for us like we think we need him to. And, and this morning as we kick off, we're, we're going to start um, by talking about uh, labels. Because um, the truth is for many of us, there are labels that have become attached to our name over time um, that we've come to believe about ourselves. And maybe it was something that somebody said about you once or a way that you came to be characterized, a reputation that has just followed you, right? And maybe it wasn't something that, that somebody ever said out loud, but it's just something that you've come to believe about yourself that, that simply isn't true. Or maybe it's something that, you know what, has been true, but doesn't need to be true anymore. Right? We attach labels to people all the time. It's, it's, and so actually, to, to begin, I want to play a little game. It's going to require a little crowd interaction, all right? Um, I'm going to give you the name of somebody, and then I want you to give me the label, that is attached to their name. So if you grew up in church, some of these are going to be biblical names, so you can show off your biblical know-how, you know? Good for you. You can feel good about that. Um, if you didn't grow up in church, some of these are going to be historical and then pop culture names. So you can play along, too, um, and we'll see who's who. So, uh, so I'm going to give you the name, and then I want you to give, the, give me the title that's attached to their name, right? So from the Bible, all right, you got John the what? Baptist. Very good. All right, this one's a little bit harder. Uh, you got Uriah the Hittite. Yes, I heard that. Somebody knows their Bible. Um, you got uh, Rahab the harlot. Yeah, prostitute, depending on uh, the translation. Um, you've got Thomas the... <laughs> I know. Yes. See, there you got it. The doubters were from church. The trains. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so from history, then, you got Alexander the... Yep. You got Billy the... Yep. You got Attila the... Very good. Okay, pop culture. You got Conan the... Yes, classic. Uh, You got Buffy the... Yes. You got Nicolas Cage the... (laughs) I don't know what label's attached to his name. There's probably a lot of them. Uh, I just threw that in there to see what you say. Um, You know, then one of my personal favorites is you got Jabba the... Yes, exactly. So, you know, we see this. We see that 
there's people and there, there are labels that become attached to their name and, and that becomes a part of their identity, doesn't it? It becomes a part of how we understand who they are. Um, when I look back on my own story and, and one of the, the labels that became attached to my name uh, pretty early, um, it's, 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 it's just amazing how things are clear when you look back, uh, how some things followed you. And I had a label that followed me for a number of years. And I've shared with you before, I grew up in rural Minnesota and I lived in a town called Worthington, Minnesota. Uh, all the way through seventh grade. That was my childhood home. And we moved after that year, which is a great time to move in middle school, because uh, we're all so secure and know who we are. And um, so we moved right before eighth grade year to a small resort town uh, called Alexandria, Minnesota. And uh, it's beautiful up there. It's, it's like uh, Scandinavian, like kind of close-knit, tight community, kind of hard to break into. And I moved there. And um, I got pegged with a label really early on. And, uh, and it was Pretty Boy. I was pretty boy Loy. Um, and uh, at first I was kind of pumped about that. I was like, all right, well, thank you, you know? Um, you know yeah, and, and I felt good about that. Uh, but then, uh, because I played sports, I, I started getting to invite it, invited to social functions, like parties, you know, as much as you have like an, a pre-eighth grade party, um, uh, which is really just a hangout where the parents are upstairs. Um, but it, it, you know, very, very quickly, I, I realized that that pretty boy was not a term of endearment uh, at all. And uh, and at the first party, I remember the first party I went to, we were playing some pickup football, and uh, guys had kind of been razzing me, you know, like I was picking up just a lot of negativity from the get-go, and uh, and it kind of seemed like they wanted to give me the ball so they could light me up, you know what I mean? Um, so I was like, all right, bring it on. And and so I I ended up scoring a touchdown. And I got lit up. Um, I got cheap shotted. And, and I remember jumping to my feet and running after this guy. John Godfrey was his name. John Godfrey. And I ran after him because uh, I was just going to unleash on this guy. And uh, no sooner, I got within just a few feet away and I got jumped uh, by, by a bunch of guys. And, um, and that ended up being just the beginning of what my experience moving to Alexandria would be for much of that year. I showed up to school. And immediately, I don't know how word got out, but everybody knew I was pretty boy Loy. And, uh, and upperclassmen especially uh, just took a liking to making my life miserable. And so I was, I was the bullied kid. And I remember walking through the class. And again, this is middle school, right? Middle school is rough. Don't know who you are. So insecure, trying to figure it out. And uh, I just remember upperclassmen you know, just throwing my books to the ground, shoving me in the locker, calling me pretty boy. Um, my locker, I had two lockers, right? I had my athletic locker because I played football, and I had my, my normal locker, and they were constantly vandalized, and my stuff was constantly being ruined. Um, people were constantly jacking with me. I, I remember in the locker room being surrounded by upperclassmen athletes uh, shoving me around. It's just, it's a shaming thing, you know, when you're bullied. And, uh, and I, very quickly I realized, you know, when, when they were calling me pretty boy, uh, what they were really saying every time was, you're not welcome here. Uh, you don't belong. Uh, and so it's a label, what I, how I came to understand myself, is I was, I was Aaron the outcast. And uh, that label followed me for a number of years. And, and I think we respond to, to labels in different ways. And some people be, really become paralyzed and they can't move forward. Some people move forward in really destructive ways and I think cope. And some of us overcompensate, and that's what I did. And, and I, I got it through my head that if I just worked hard enough, if I just worked harder than everybody else, if I was just successful enough in school and sports that I would have to be accepted, that then I would be appreciated and valued and invited in. 
And the sad part about middle school is that's the way that it works. And so, so that year, um, I grew 11 inches that year. And uh, I didn't have any friends. And so I practiced constantly, and I studied constantly. And I had a 4.0 grade point average. And I started on both sides of the football, and I became the starting point guard. And um, I broke a lot of records in track. And I became uh, one of the most popular guys in school. But here's, here's the thing. That's not a success story. Even when that happened, even when I, f I was embraced by a lot of the people who had rejected me, I didn't feel that. I still felt like Aaron the Outcast. And what ended up happening is I came to believe about myself something that wasn't true. And that followed me for years. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confess something to you, and this is like really personal and, and uncomfortable, but I'm just gonna put it out there. This is 15 plus years later. Every now and then, I'll be working hard, like late at night, you know, past midnight, burning the clock. Uh, I'll be working out in the gym, pushing myself hard, and I will find myself imagining some of those faces of those people who rejected me, you know, who made me feel like the outcast, like I didn't belong. And in my mind, they're looking at everything that I've done or what I'm doing or what I'm going to achieve in the future, and they're patting me on the back and finally, like, embracing me and accepting me. Now, in case you're wondering, that's not healthy <laughs> at all. In fact, when I find myself doing that every once in a while, I'll laugh out loud. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? It's like a lifetime later. It's like 15 years later. And then I'll apologize and confess to God, you know, there's something in me that's, that's trying to gain the approval of people rather than resting in who I am in Christ. But that's the power of labels, isn't it? When you, and it's not just that somebody calls you something. The power is when you come to believe something about yourself that oftentimes simply is not true. All right, so well, as we begin, I want to just ask you, when you think back on your story, what is the negative label that follows your name? I would venture to guess for most of us in this room, there's something there. There's something there. Maybe for you, like, like my wife, I, I remember when we got married, one of the lies that she had bought into about herself was that she was not a leader, not an influencer, that she was just a follower. And, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of us buy into that mentality. There's two kinds of people. There's people who get things done and that lead and that are influential and worth respecting, and then there's the rest of us. But if you know anything about my wife, uh, one of the things that we talked a lot about early on is she is an influencer. And I would argue that everybody has influence. But she's one of those people that can walk into the room and change the temperature of the room. She can command attention, and people follow her. That's what a leader is. But somewhere in her mind, at some point, there is a label that, that she bought into that she was not that, that she was just a follower. Right? Maybe for you, you struggled in school because you, uh, you weren't good at taking tests and you weren't good at writing papers. And that's pretty much what your grades were based on. At some point, you came to believe that you're stupid. And that's the label that has followed you, that you are not smart, that you have very little to offer. Maybe for you, it's that you're not valuable. Right? Not that you failed, but that you are a failure. That's why you fail, of course. It's who you are. You're a failure. Right? You're nothing but a, but a waste. Right? A lot of potential, little follow-through. A flake. A disappointment. One of my good friends, uh, one of his labels growing up that he received from his dad is that he just was not ever going to be good enough. And I received a text from him yesterday, and his, his dad, he's my age, and uh, his dad passed away yesterday morning. And this friend of mine is very talented. In fact, he has his PhD. He's a professor at a college. And yet I remember many tearful conversations 
because he just was never good enough. His older brother excelled at all those stereotypical man things, right? He was, a, he was a hunter, he was good at sports, just like his dad, but not my friend. He was more of an artist and a thinker. And all through his life, he accepted this label. You know what? He's not good enough. He's not man enough. And I think that's something that he's going to have to work through and process for the rest of his life. Maybe for you, you're a gal, and your dad never told you that you are beautiful, that you're desirable, that you're worth pursuing, that you're worth fighting for. And so you went looking for that somewhere else. And, and this label has followed you all, all over the place, that, that you are not worth fighting for, that you're not beautiful, you're not desirable. And perhaps in, in running to look for that somewhere else, you picked up some other labels you come to believe about yourself, that you're dirty, that you're easy, that you're the wild girl, that you'll always be that way, that you don't deserve love, that you're not loved. Perhaps for you, it's, it's reject. Perhaps for you, it's burnout, addict. What is that label? There's a number of labels. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. What is, I want you to think through, and don't just buzz over this at 10,000 feet. I want you to, in your mind, jot down, what is that label? And here's what I want to do this morning. is I want to, I want to open up the scriptures, and, and I, want to, I want you to think through that label in light of what God actually has to say about who you are. Because we need, what I want to submit to you is we need God to change our mind, not just about himself, but about who we are. Right? The, the Bible says that you and I, there's something in, in our fallenness, in our brokenness, that we don't gravitate towards what is true, but that there's something in us that gravitates towards what is untrue. That we don't have, that our natural inclination is not to see what is real, but actually to see what is false. And that without God's help, we buy into any number of lies. And so we need God to change, to change our mind about us, to show us who we really are. Listen to this. This, this, is, what, uh, this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right? if anyone is, is in Christ, right? and so if you have confessed with your mouth, that you need help, that you fall short, that you are a sinner, and that Jesus is the answer to that, right? That's you. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've failed to do, no matter how long your rap sheet is, if anyone is in Christ, listen to this, they are a new creation. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, right? You are a new creation, a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. You're not who you used to be, no matter what you have bought into, no matter what that label is. You're not who you used to be. You are absolutely new. Right? As someone who has been saved, what that means is there, the there is no power over you, like power of sin and death. It doesn't apply to you. Right? Satan is called what? what? What's the label that Satan has? He's the father of lies. See, he has no power over your life whatsoever. He can't make you do anything. The worst he can do is make you believe lies about yourself. You're a failure. You're lost. You're hopeless. You're a waste. You're never going to amount to anything. I know who you really are. You know who you really are. Stop trying. He's trying to pretend to be. You're a faker. You're a coward. You're a loser. You're a disappointment. Lies. God says that you are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And here's where I think sometimes that we get hung up. Because if you've been around church for any period of time, uh, maybe you've just been around Mosaic for a while, 
uh, you've, you've heard this verse, right? It's, it's, it's one of those verses that, that really summarizes so much of what the Bible has to say about what is true. And so we come back to it a lot, and, and you hear that, that I'm a new creation, and then you look at how you feel and what you come to believe about yourself, and it doesn't add up. And it's frustrating, it's confusing, because he's like, okay, I've confessed my sin, I've been adopted into God's family, I'm saved, but I don't feel like a new creation most of the time, if I'm really honest. I still find myself struggling with sin, I still have doubts about God, I still, all the fears, all the misgivings, all the shortcomings, they didn't just magically go away when I became a Christian. So I'm saved, I don't feel like a new creation at all. And I think the reason we get hung up is because here's the thing. We have, we have an incomplete understanding of what it means to be saved. Right? When you and I talk about being saved, how we usually do it in Christian circles like this in the church is we talk about it in the past tense. It's something that's happened. Right? So if we were having coffee and you asked about what it meant when I say that I'm saved, right? I would say, well, I'm broken, I'm a mess, I fall short. Right? I deserve judgment for any one of the volumes of sin that has been the story of my life. But under the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I am I'm saved. Not because I'm good, but because he is good. I'm saved. And that's how we generally talk about it, right? Past tense. Right? But when we open up the New Testament, when we open up the New Testament, what we find is the way that Paul, when he talks about being saved, it's so much richer. It's so much fuller. He doesn't just talk about being saved past tense. He talks about it in the past tense. He talks about being saved in the present tense. He talks about being saved in the future tense. Right? And so he talks about, yes, you know what? In, in the eternal salvation sense of the word, those of us who are in Christ, we are saved. We have been saved. Past. And one day, Jesus Christ is going to come back, and he is going to call those of us home uh, that are his own. And he is going to wipe every tear from their eye. There is going to be no more suffering, no more death, no more poverty, no more injustice. All of that is going away. Sickness, gone. And we are going to be with him and like him forever. And in that sense, we will be saved in the future sense. But then there's this, and this is where we tend to miss it, is that we are also saved and being saved and need to be saved in the present tense. Right? This is precisely why it's possible for a Christian to, to be saved in this eternal sense of the word and yet still buy lies about who we are, still not be able to move past our past. Right? Because we, we buy into saved salvation like it's just, it's a one and done thing, right? And so for many of us, our understanding of Christianity, our experience of following Jesus, is we prayed a salvation prayer, and now we're just kind of doing the minimum, uh, trying to stay on God's good side and, you know, come to church and that kind of a thing, and, and then we're going to punch or take it someday. But we miss how badly we need him here to change us from the inside out. Right? So you may be new, but the thing is, is that, is that you may not have learned how to walk in that newness. Right? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 21. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts. Right? Again, the Spirit of God, let him renew your thoughts. We need God to change our mind about us. Right? Is it, is it Romans talks about being transformed? Be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Right? We need, that's where transformation comes from. It's not by changing behavior. It's by allowing God to, to actually help us see what is true. And the way that he describes this, look, he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Let the Spirit renew your mind instead, your thoughts and your attitudes. And then what? He says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Throw off the old and put on the new. 
right? Paul describes it as, as a process, right? That this being saved, that there's, a, there's actually a throwing off and a putting on, right? Almost like, like clothing. In other words, you might be saved, but you have to learn how to, how to live into this newness. You've been made new, but perhaps you just don't, you don't know it yet. I, I think I've shared this before. I, I thought for my entire life that I was German. And I don't know where that came from, but I was convinced that I was German. When I met Megan, she's German. Megan Muchie was her, her maiden name. And, uh, you know, people are like, Aaron Loy, oh, are you Chinese? And I'd be like, no, I'm German. And we had this German connection, right? And I was very proud of that. I mean, I would go out to, to, with friends, and, and we'd be enjoying, like, a, a nice, nice crafted German lager. And I, I would feel pride. You know, I, I, would, I would go out of my way to say, my people made this. It's probably one of my relatives. <laughs> you know? uh, well, something happened here like a couple years ago. I was, I was moving my office or I was going through old files or redoing my filing system. And I saw a file name with my grandpa's name on it. And I was like, huh. And I opened it up. And, and there's all these files that I forgot my, my grandpa had sent me um, years back for a school project. And I never got around to reading it all. So I started paging through it. Well, come to find out my family, not German. Not at all. Uh, totally French. Uh, very French. In fact, like, our only connection to Germany was like, as we were leaving France, we passed through Germany on our way to the States. That's as German as I am, right? And honestly, I should have known it because I've got the dark hair and lots of it all over my body. Uh, I like berets and red wine and good cheese. And when somebody picks a fight with me, I usually surrender. And so I just, you know. <laughs> it makes sense, right? Uh, <laughs> I should have known that. I was not German. I thought I was German, but I wasn't. Now, the fact that I didn't know that, that my true identity, where I come from, is, is from France, the fact that I didn't know that, did that make it any less true? Like, no. Right? The fact that I thought that I was German, did that make me German at all? Absolutely not. Right? And, and I, it was part of just discovering where I come from and discovering my identity. And for some of you, that's, that's, where you're there, that's where you are as far as your walk with Jesus goes. As you have been buying into a number of lies about, about who you are, and it's not true. And so, and so you need to let God change your mind about you and to show you not who you could be, not who you should be, but who you already are. Listen to this. This is what, this is what God says about you. If you are in Christ, this is what it says. Number one, all right, you have been given a new heart. You've been given a new heart. Now, this word heart is used over 900 times throughout the scriptures. And, and it's not talking about your physical pumping blood through your body heart, right, when it says, uh, when it's talking about heart. When, it, when the scriptures talk about heart, it is talking about symbolically the very seat and the very center of your identity, right? This is truly who you are, right? Jesus said when it comes to our heart, everything overflows from the heart. He says this, this is, these are some of the things he listed off and said, overflows from here, from our heart, from who we are, the, the center of our identity. Uh, words, lusts, how we spend our money, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, good and evil, sinful grief, anxiety, and drunkenness, that these all overflow out of who we are out of the heart. This is our identity. This is who we really are. And listen to what Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says about you. This is God saying, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Listen, if you're in Jesus, you have been given a new heart, a new you. This is the center of your identity. God has given you a brand new heart, and with it, part of walking in that is that God starts to actually change your desires, what you, what you really want. Now, does that mean uh, that you're never going to sin or want to do what is wrong? Dumb question, right? Of course not, right? We all do. You will. If you don't think so, you're a liar. Uh, welcome to the club, right? We do. But what it means is we respond to sin in, in a different way with a new heart, and that is that we grieve over it. And so there are times, right, Paul talks, talks about, man, I, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And the things that, that I, I want to do, I, I'm not doing. Or there's, there's, there's this process of walking into uh, what it means to be new. And, and sin comes, and we will sin, but we grieve it. And we come back to God, and we repent, which is just a religious word for saying we turn our face to God again, and we turn our back to sin. What we don't do, however, is condemn ourselves and beat ourselves up and shame ourselves. And for some of you, that is exactly what your label has done. The label that you have carried with you has brought nothing but shame. And every time that you fall, you buy into the lie that this is not what you do. This is who you are. Of course you fell. That's who you are. And you beat yourself up and you shame yourself. And you've got to know that there is no place for shame in the Christian experience. Conviction, yes. God's spirit lives in you if you're in Christ. And there's going to be times when God will convict you because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing or you did something you shouldn't have done. And God will do that to draw you back to himself, to lead you, to guide you. But there's no condemnation. There's a big difference between con but conviction and condemnation. Listen, listen to what uh, Romans 8, one, verses 1 and 2 says. And some of you need to hear this because you just beat the tar out of yourself. Isn't it easy to be gracious towards others but not yourself? It says this. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has what? Has set you free. There's no condemnation. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. If you are in Christ, you have been given a new heart. There is no place for shame in your walk with Christ. Because you're new. You are justified. You are saved. You are clean. Not because you're good, but because God is that good. You have to understand that. Don't try to just change your behavior. Let God show you who you already are. And live out of that. There's no condemnation. He says, I've given you a new heart, a new identity. In me, you are made new. And as you let God show you that and you begin to walk in that, God is going to give you a new name. He will give you a new name. Isaiah 62, 2 says this. You will be called a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow upon you. To go with your new identity, God's going to give you a new name. One that's not like your label. One that's actually true that describes actually who you are and the life that God has for you. We see this. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, I would love to just, we could just comb through the scriptures, but this is everywhere. Old Testament, New Testament. God comes in, changes a person, changes fundamentally their identity, and gives them a new name. Right? Abram had a label. Would have been Abram the fatherless. He was an old man. At that point, it was an impossibility to have kids. And if you know anything about that culture, not having sons was a travesty. You had nobody to, to, to inherit your land, nobody to care for you in your old age. 
nobody to carry on your name. He had no sons, no kids, and God says, not anymore. I don't see Abram the fatherless. For now, from here on out, you will be Abraham, the father of many nations. And it was a number of years before he saw that fulfilled, but it's fulfilled. In fact, if you're here and you're in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of Abraham. You and I both. Because God was giving him a new identity and a new name. Right? If you were here two years ago, we talked about, uh, we looked at the book of Judges. If you remember Gideon hiding, right? That he's in the middle of, of an oppressed people. And he's hiding. He's a farmer trying to farm in a cave, which ancient readers would have just laughed at as ridiculous, but he was that afraid for his life. And God shows up, an angel of the Lord shows up and says, the Lord is with you, not Gideon the afraid. Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, was he a mighty warrior at that time? In his eyes, absolutely not. But he would live into that name in time. That's exactly what he became, and God used him to deliver people. Right? Simon, one of the disciples. Simon could have had a lot of names. Simon could have been Simon the abrasive, Simon the overzealous, uh, Simon the, the impulsive, Simon the deserter, Simon the out of control. Right? And, and yet, Jesus comes in, he says, nope, not anymore. That's not who you are. That was maybe who you were. But not anymore, Simon. From here on out, your name will be Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, Simon didn't see that. Peter didn't see that. And as we read the rest of his story, there were a number of times when he, you look at his life, and it's like, really, Lord, the rock? Right? Well, he just made mistake after mistake. Think, he acts without thinking. Ultimately, he deserts Jesus not once, not twice, but three times in one night. But he was not a rock in his eyes or ours. Yet Jesus looked at him and said, that's exactly what you are. And on Pentecost, right, when the movement of Jesus was unleashed and God's spirit fell on his church, who was it that stepped up to give the very first sermon and give direction to this movement? But not Simon. It was Peter, the rock. And on him, Jesus has built his church. One of my favorite examples from the scriptures is Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab was a, a prostitute at a time when there were two kinds of prostitutes. There was the, the temple prostitutes, which is a little bit more respectable. Right? And then there were the prostitutes who would have been arrested on cops. Um, and that was Rahab. Uh, no respect, no love. Um, who knows what she came to believe about herself along the way? Not valuable, not beautiful, not lovable, not worthy of any long-term relationship. And God started to stir in her. And God would use her to deliver God's people. She became Rahab the hero. And then not only that, Rahab, who perhaps thought she was completely outside the realm of finding love of any good, honorable man, something she didn't think that she deserved, God brings along this God-fearing man named Salmon. And together, they get married. And they have a son. And in that lineage, God would use Rahab, the prostitute, to usher in Jesus Christ himself the savior of the world. Why? Because she was not Rahab the prostitute anymore. When she met God, God gave her a new identity and a new name to live into. And I'm telling you, for some of you, God has a new name for you. And you might not feel worthy of it, right? Just like Abram the fatherless or Gideon the afraid or Rahab the prostitute, you might feel like you have nothing to offer. And yet God looks at you and he doesn't see what you see. And he doesn't see what you've done in your past or what you failed to do or what somebody said about you once. He sees something completely new, completely different. 
completely different. Right? For some of you this morning, you're here, right? And, and you bought into that lie that maybe you don't have a lot to contribute. You're just not one of those people that makes things happen or makes a difference. Those are the leaders. Those are the impact players. Those are the truly talented. And, and God looks at you, and, and today his, his name for you is Influencer. And you may not realize it, and you may not see it, but that's who you are. And God is going to use you to make an impact and to have an influence. Or for some of you, maybe you don't feel, you feel totally uh, just out of the realm of, of being a good parent. You don't feel worthy of that. Perhaps you didn't have that growing up, and, and you beat yourself over that. And, and God is calling you to be a godly father, a godly mother. Right, maybe for you, you have a history of, of not following through on things. All potential, no follow through, failure. Right? And, and God's name for you is overcomer. And you don't see it yet, but if you will walk in newness, God is going to use you to do something extraordinary in your lifetime. And it's not who you could be, and it's not who you should be. It is who you already are. For many of you, your name is spiritual leader, and you have yet to live into that, but it's true of you. And some of you will become spiritual leaders of your homes, and God is calling you to that. That's who you are already, and you just need to live into it. Some of you will be spiritual leaders of life groups, and that blows your mind to think about, and you feel so unqualified to do that, but God's going to call you to do that. It's who you already are. He's going to use you to change some lives. For some of you, you're going to be a spiritual leader at, at Mosaic Kids or in your, in your classroom with your peers or at, at, at work with your, those people with the cubicle next to you, the office next to you. For some of you, you're going to be a spiritual leader in your neighborhoods, and God is going to use you in such a profound way. And it's not who you should be, and it's not even who you could be. It's who you already are, but you just don't know it yet. You've got to let God change your mind about you to show you who you truly are. You are not your past. You are not what somebody said you were. Or you are not what you've come to believe about yourself. You are not even whatever perhaps, maybe, maybe it's been true of you, your label, up until now. Not anymore. You have been made new. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, and that is you. And my hope and my prayers as we go into a new year is that that truth would rock your world because you've already been made new. It's who you already are, and you just got to learn to live into it. Live into your name. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for those people in this room who are listening to this, and that voice in their ear is telling them, that's not you. He's not talking about you. That's somebody else. Because I know who you are. You're a nobody. You're a nothing, you're a failure, you're a disappointment, you're undesirable, you're unlovable, you're a waste of potential, a waste of talent, a waste of time. And that, God, you would help them, help them to see that those are nothing but lies. Those lies, 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 that is not the truth about who they are in you. God, I would ask that you would help every single person in this room who is in Christ to see that you, their creator, their savior, their redeemer, their God, looks at them, and you don't see what they see. What you see is someone who is loved, who is worth dying for, who is redeemed, who, who has been uh, reconciled back to you, who is a saint, who is completely righteous and clean before you, not because of what they've done, but because of what you have done, that they are in every way a new creation with a new heart and a new life to live into, a new name, God. I ask that those scales would fall off our eyes. I can't imagine, I can only begin to imagine what it would be like to be a part of a community where there's no more pretending, there's no more faking, there's no more having to hide our sin, 
pretend that it's not there, or pretend that we're better than we actually are, but where we can just be who you've created us to be, and that when we fall, we're not ashamed. We just turn our face back to you and our back on sin as people who are already loved, who, whose love and acceptance is not contingent on how we live or how we don't live, but on the life that you lived and on the death that you died. Help us to see who we really are. And Lord God, I pray for those people here that they're not sure where they fall in all this. They're not sure that they believe at all in, in God. And they're just checking this out. And Lord God, I thank you that they're here. And I ask and I pray that we would be the kind of community where they can just be. Where they can ask and they can journey and question and doubt. And, and whether or not we ever agree or, or, or not on, on spiritual matters, that this would be a place where they can just be loved and belong. And God, we're praying that in the process that you would do something so surprising in their life, something that would just, just blows their mind, uh, just beyond comprehension to them at this point, that you would reach in and show them that they have immense worth, that they are loved, and that you have a new life and a new heart for them. So Lord God, we come before you as a broken people without you, but as a redeemed, reconciled, loved new people in you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.